0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 12 to 19, and you can follow along as I read it. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Uh, since, I guess, February is we've been talking a lot about vision. And uh, in terms of vision, we're trying to paint this picture of what we want to do, what we want to be as a church. And this picture that we're painting is out of a bridge. We want to be a church that builds bridges. And there's three kinds of bridges that we want to build, uh, which you see in your bulletins. And we're on our second bridge, and we're talking about building these bridges to grow, uh, which is basically talking about things like discipleship, how do we grow in our relationship with Christ, how do we grow in maturity. And if you think about the, an agricultural metaphor, uh, think about an apple tree. Apples only grow when they are organically connected to the actual tree. When the tree is supplied nutrients and fertilizers and so forth, uh, the the apples will, will grow and uh, the tree will begin to bear fruit. And I think that's a good way to think about how Christian growth takes place because ultimately the way we grow as believers is we have to be organically connected to Christ. Uh, who is our source of growth. Uh, But even when we are organically connected to Christ, there are things we can do to maybe nurture growth a little bit with like adding fertilizers and uh, that kind of thing. And for uh, many of us, maybe it's uh, times of worship and prayer and times of being in the word and times of being in community. And so uh, part of what we want to do is we want to be a church that helps one another grow. In Christ. Now today, I want to look at Christian growth from a slightly different perspective. Uh, I actually want to look at it from the opposite perspective. And rather talking about how do we grow, I want to talk about it from the negative in terms of how do we not fall away? How do we not fall away? How do we not go in the opposite direction? And I think it's important to talk about this because uh, I'm sure many of us know people in our lives who have uh, fallen away from the faith. Uh, Some people, maybe they just had a really bad experience in the church, and uh, that really messed them up in terms of their faith, and so they they fell away and they said, I don't want anything to do with this. Uh, Other people probably were just consumed with other things in in life and other things in the world, and they're not necessarily bad things, uh, but these things began to take priority, and uh, slowly and gradually uh, they began to uh, fall away as well. Uh, There are a lot of reasons why uh, people can fall away. Uh, But what I want you to realize today is all of us have the potential. All of us have the potential. Uh, Even I have the potential. And if you, by the way, if you are uh, schooled in Reformed theology, I I know there's something called Perseverance of the Saints. Um, uh, But from our perspective... uh, I think we have to realize that this is something that we have to be on guard from. Now, in our passage, the author here, he is giving a warning that we can summarize in verse 12, and he says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And that Greek word for fall away is actually where we get this word apostasy. Apostasy, which is a word that describes somebody who has fallen away from the faith in Christ. And verse 14 tells us that what we need to do is we need to hold our original confidence firm to the end. Or to put it another way, we need to persevere in our faith all the way to the end of our lives. But here's the thing. Perseverance doesn't happen when we live on an island. Perseverance happens when we are Uh, in community with other believers. And one of the ways we can persevere is when other believers in our community exhort us and encourage us and make sure that we are continuing to run this race that Christ has called us to. Or to put it another way, I think perseverance happens when we have this thing called accountability. Accountability. Now, the idea of accountability, if you think about it, it's not unique to Christianity. It's not unique to the Christian faith. But We see this idea of accountability uh, in a lot of other places. We see it in government. The three branches of the government are supposed to keep one another accountable. We see this word thrown around a lot of times in sports and sports teams. And you hear people talking about, well, we held each other accountable, uh, which means that we held everyone accountable to do their role, to do their job, and that led to winning work games. You see, the premise of accountability is basically this, that we can't trust ourselves to always do the right thing, and therefore it's necessary that we have people who are outside of us to kind of exhort us, encourage us, sometimes even rebuke us, and to push us in a certain direction. And if you're a believer here, if you're a Christian, then it should be no surprise that you also need accountability because in this life we are always engaged in a battle with our own sin. And so this Puritan theologian John Owen says this very famous line, and he says, if we're not killing sin, then sin is going to be killing us. I suspect this, that many people maybe don't have... uh, real accountability. And I think there's a a few reasons for this. Uh, The first reason, there's probably a cultural reason why uh, people don't have real accountability. Uh, You know, in our culture, I think uh, people tend to think about faith as something that is personal and private. And when things are personal and private, then we don't like to talk about it because of the potential for discomfort or the potential to think that we might cause offense or that it's rude. Think about other things that we consider personal and private today. For example, finances. Uh, if someone were to ask us how much money we made or how we spend our money, we probably feel uncomfortable or a little bit offended because that's a very private and personal matter. And the only scenario in which we might find it acceptable if someone were to ask about these things is if it's a close relative, it's a close friend, or if uh, this person needs to know that information for practical purposes, like maybe a tax professional. And sometimes I think we view our faith along the lines of how we view finances. And we think that, uh, you know, because faith is supposed to be this personal and private thing, uh, we don't want people to ask us about it because it's just too personal unless they're close to us and we feel close to them, or unless they are some kind of uh, professional maybe a religious professional, maybe like a pastor. And so it's like I expect the pastor to ask me about these things, but uh, this other person, you know, I I don't want them to ask me about these things. So I think there's a cultural reason in terms of how we understand and view faith. The second reason I think uh, maybe many of us may not have accountability is because I think deep down maybe we don't really want it. Maybe we don't really want it. The only reason we would want real accountability is if we truly believe that sin is destructive to our lives and sin is destructive to our hearts. Most of us, if, uh, you know, maybe if we're churched, maybe if we know the Christian lingo, maybe we want more of the idea of accountability, but not the reality of it. Uh, I say this to my wife all the time, who just walked in. Perfect timing, wife. Uh, she, she gets tired of me saying this, but I always say, right? You know, most things in life are disappointing. Most things in life, the idea is better than the reality of it. And I think, uh, I think accountability is kind of, uh, falls into that category. I think we like the idea of accountability because maybe we think, oh, accountability is a group of people sitting together and, and sharing and praying together. And it can be that. But I think when we conceptualize this thing, accountability, sometimes we think it's very neat. Maybe we think it's very intimate. But real accountability probably doesn't work like that because it deals with sin. Real accountability is probably hard, complicated, messy, difficult. Sometimes you have to say hard things to people. Real accountability sometimes makes us feel bad. But we need it if sin is real and sin is truly destructive in our lives now think about real accountability and it's it's kind of scary right because it means that you you have to become vulnerable Sin is something that likes to live in the dark. It likes to live in dark places. It likes to dwell in secret places because that is where it is the most effective. Real accountability means that people can see your sin and you're bringing that sin out into the light and that can be a very uncomfortable thing to experience. There, you know, There's this chapter in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, where he talks about this uh, idea of confession and specifically confessing sin to one another. And he says the same thing. He says confession doesn't allow sin to remain in the dark uh, which is always what we want to do. And if we want actually authentic and true community, what one of the things he says is we have to get used to the habit of confessing sin to one another. Uh, but he says confession is so important because it brings our sin out into the light. It makes us realize how much we need the gospel and how much we need Christ. But here's, the, here's the other thing. You know, in the Catholic tradition, and maybe some of you come from the Catholic tradition. Uh, in the Catholic tradition, you, you, you actually go to a priest uh, to confess your sin. And Protestants don't do that because, uh, and you know, Protestants believe that you don't need a priest to mediate forgiveness because Jesus Christ is supposed to be our high priest. Uh, but I actually think that there is some spiritual value to that practice of going to somebody and to confessing your sin because it's actually one step closer to bringing that sin out into the light rather than just kind of keeping it to ourselves to verbalize it to say it to recognize that this is indeed uh something that is in our hearts and in our lives but again we don't like to do that right uh, we have too much pride we have too much self-respect we don't want to people we don't want people to know our mess uh we want to keep it private because even when we think we should have accountability Probably what we do is we spend more time thinking about why other people are not qualified to keep us accountable. And we say things like, you know, this person just won't understand because they're married. Or this person just won't understand because they're not married. Or this person won't understand because they don't have my job and they don't know what I do. They don't have my boss. Or this person won't understand because their life is not as messy as mine. Or this person won't understand because their life is too messy and so messed up. And this person's too young. This person's too old. And we come up with all of these reasons why, uh, and oftentimes reasons that are contradictory, but reasons why people are not Fit to keep us accounta- accountable. But here's the thing: you know what the only qualification? You know the most important qualification for keeping someone accountable is is that person just can't be you. That's it. That's the only qualification. Anyone who is not you already meets the most important qualification for accountability. <laughs> I get it. We get it. We don't want to. We don't want that feeling of shame. Do uh, you remember what shame feels like? It's. Uh, it feels like you're you're naked in front of a group of people, and they're just pointing and they're just laughing at you. It, it feels that bad. It makes you feel weak and makes you feel small. It makes you feel powerless. It makes you feel judged. And we hate that feeling. And we want to do whatever we can to avoid that feeling. And so the easiest thing that we do is we we try to project ourselves in a certain way, even amongst our friends, even amongst fellow believers. We like to share things that we are comfortable sharing, which oftentimes focuses on what? Circumstances, our work, uh, which are, of course, real things. But how often do we share about the most dangerous thing in our lives, the most dangerous thing in our hearts, the most dangerous sin that could potentially really destroy us? It's easy here to share about work and circumstances rather than sharing about sexual temptation, deep addictions, deep anger, deep hatred, failures in marriage and parenting, or the fact that you are just miserable and depressed all the time. And honestly, uh, as a community, when we hear other people share about those things and life gets just too real, maybe some of us, we just don't know what to do with that and we feel uncomfortable and we're not sure what to do when someone shares those real deep things. But see, here's the thing. We need, as a community, to keep one another accountable in this authentic, real way because the temptation is too great to being deceived by sin to lead to this evil, unbelieving heart that the book of Hebrews is talking about. We need a community to keep us accountable when these desires in our hearts get out of control and all we want to do is rebel, rebel against God, rebel against um, other people even, and do whatever we want to do. And so we're going to look at this passage, and uh, it's a very important passage, but it's a warning passage to a community that is being persecuted. And the warning is this, be careful, right? Be careful that you don't fall away from the living God. Be careful of that. And in order to issue this warning, the author, he is looking back to this other community that we find in the Old Testament, this Israelite wilderness community, where people hardened their hearts, where they rebelled against the living God, and where they ultimately fell away. And uh, the author of Hebrews is looking at that community and saying, learn from them, right? Be careful. Look what happened to them. And, of course, there is a parallel between that community and the church community in that both communities have seen and experienced the work of God and the power of God. Both communities exist between this time of promise and fulfillment, and both communities are experiencing trials that can really make them question whether it's worth it to continue to trust in God and to follow Christ. Now, who were the people that fell away in the Israelite community? And we find our answer in verses 16 to 18. And he says, "Was it not all those who left who left Egypt by Moses?" And, And he's pointing out the fact that, look, these are these people that fell away. These are people who were with Moses. They, they probably saw all the miracles that God had done in sending the plagues and redeeming them out of Egypt and freeing them from slavery, doing things like parting the Red Sea, doing things like bring him, bringing an entire people and changing Pharaoh's hardened heart to release them and to free them. These are the people. They, they saw that, and they experienced that, and still they rebelled against God, and they fell away. And that tells us that even though we may have uh, seen and experienced the power of God, Even if it maybe one day led us to make a profession of faith, you can still fall away if you do not persevere until the end. Oftentimes a catalyst, I think, for falling away is suffering and trials, right? For this wilderness community, why did they rebel against God? Well, they didn't have food and they didn't have water. And they literally said to Moses, Moses and to God, it would have been better if we were in Egypt, even though we were slaves, because at least we would have food and water. At least we wouldn't be in this wilderness and, and be suffering in this way. And for this church community in the book of Hebrews, the potential catalyst for falling away is persecution. And uh, they're saying, you know, we're being persecuted for our faith. Now, maybe it would have been better if we were not Christians at all, because then at least we wouldn't be persecuted. Now, there's this uh, book that came out, and there's this uh, movie that was made after it, this um book called silence and i don't know if any of you've read it i didn't read it i read a summary of it i'm trying to read it uh but basically it's it's a movie that asks these very complex questions about faith and doubt and apostasy and even in that story it's intense persecution that is a catalyst for the potential of people who are falling away and for us I think it could be just any kind of trial or suffering of any kind. It can be conflict. It could be division in church. It could be some kind of strained relationship, any kind of loss, unhappiness, general apathy with life. Whatever trials that we are going through, uh, that could potentially be a catalyst for falling away. Now, last week, we actually looked at the first people who fell away, which was uh, Adam and Eve. And we saw that the strategy of the serpent was to introduce this concept that maybe God is not so good. Maybe God doesn't want your good. And Satan continues to use that strategy so uh, that when we experience hardships, we look at them as reasons why maybe God is not so good and God is not so good to us. And once that thought begins to sink into our hearts, then the potential to fall away from the faith becomes so great. And that's why verse 13 it talks about being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The first step is deception, being deceived by sin. The next step is a hardening of the heart. And the final step is just to completely reject and rebel against God. And suffering and trials always makes us vulnerable to that process. And because suffering and trials is universal to everybody, uh, the deception, the temptation to be deceived by sin and to have a hard heart and the potential to fall away, I think is alive and active amongst all of us. If you think about, uh, if you think that, you know, I don't have that potential, then may I suggest that maybe you haven't experienced uh, a pain or a suffering or trial that has uh, been so deep that it has deeply agonized your soul, that it has reached it deep down to your bones. And I think you know many of us are still relatively young, but I think uh, most of us, if not all of us, will one day go through a time where we are going to be put through the ringer, where we are going to experience so much pain, so much hardship. So much suffering. And in that moment, we are going to be tempted to doubt in the goodness of God. And you'll think, <clears throat> you know, God can't be good if He's allowing me to feel so much pain, if He is allowing all of these things to happen. It just does not seem fair. Life does not seem fair. Or you might think, God, He can't provide comfort and He can't help me in my suffering. And these are the kind of things that, seeful things that, uh, we're going to start to think as we experience suffering and trials of various kinds and that can eventually lead to this hardened heart towards God I know some people here have already been through that and you've gone through trials and you have persevered and therefore you have come out having a greater conviction that God is good because you've experienced that God has truly carried you through that suffering but you see suffering is so powerful that I will say you will not come out the same after you go through it your faith will be different either your faith will be stronger because it has been purified by fire or it will be weaker because um, the temptation of allowing these deceitful lies will have sunk into our hearts. And so what do we need? Right? What do we need? We need community. Community. And that's why verse 13 says this. It says, exhort one another every day so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin exhort one another every day we need community that will actually keep us accountable that will encourage us, that will exhort us to continue to fight in this fight to resist the lies of the devil, to not allow these deceptions to enter into our hearts to continue to be reminded that God is good and that Jesus is good and that what he gives us through the gospel is good we need to hear these things in the midst of our trials in the midst of our suffering and I don't know if anybody here has the will or has the strength to just suffer alone and to come out stronger on the other side. Maybe it can be done, but I highly doubt it. We need people who can really speak the truth into our lives every day so that we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And let me also say this. The time to look for that kind of community is not when you're going through the trial, but you need to have it before so that when you go through the trial, it'll be there. Now, this verb that is translated exhort, it can also be translated as encourage. But I think when you think about encourage, we often think about it uh, in light of this modern narrative where the individual is a hero of the story. And so we think that the way to encourage someone is to tell them how good they are or how strong they are or how talented they are. And, of course, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that is not how we see the Bible ultimately giving encouragement. The book of Hebrews is actually written like this sermon, and the author's aim is to encourage this suffering, persecuted community to continue to persevere. And if you read this entire book, how does the book of Hebrews offer encouragement to this community? Well, he doesn't do it by saying, you guys are strong, and so you can overcome. You guys are so good. You guys have uh, great faith. He doesn't do that, but he tells them how strong Jesus is, how strong Jesus is. The entire book is an exhortation about these various angles in which you can see the gospel. And uh, the ultimate message is this. Jesus is better. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the Levitical priest. Jesus' sacrifice is better than animal sacrifices. Jesus' new covenant is better than the old covenant. Everything in this book is pointing to the fact that Jesus is better. And that is a way that this author is encouraging this community. So how do we encourage one another? How do we exhort one another? What are we trying to do through accountability? Ultimately, we are doing this. We are reminding one another that Jesus is better. Because you see, Satan is trying to say the opposite. Satan is trying to say that God is not so good. If you experience failure in life, Or rejection in life, how do you encourage somebody? You say, Jesus is better than your success. Jesus is better than your dreams of success. If your relationship feels broken, how do you encourage? Jesus is better than your expectations for that relationship and everything that you think you deserve or want out of that relationship. You want love? Jesus' love is better. You want encouragement and strength. Jesus' strength and encouragement is better. If you're someone and you don't feel like you've achieved enough in your life, well guess what? Jesus is better because he has achieved something far greater in his death upon the cross. Something that is impossible for any of us to achieve. And we get to share in that achievement. If you feel enslaved to a certain kind of addiction, guess what jesus is better than this temporary pleasure because he gives a deeper and more everlasting pleasure you see you see what we ultimately need to hear in our community as we go through life we need to hear jesus is better he is now in the, in addition to hearing it i think we do also need to see it by the way i get this is a sermon right in our normal conversation Uh, we probably don't talk like that. And if we just say, hey, Jesus is better, it's probably going to come off a little bit uh, trite or maybe it might sound like a cliche. But here's the thing. If we really believe that Jesus is better than all things and if our lives reflect that, that in itself is also going to be a powerful encouragement so that when we say it, and we we say it with conviction, we say it with belief, it is going to be a great encouragement to people because people are going to see it. People are going to say, you know, you have so much joy in your life and you have so much peace and you have so much security. Jesus must be better. Uh, You know, you serve and you serve with a great sense of privilege and, and you love your king and you offer your lives as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship to him, and you seem to enjoy doing it. And you show people, yeah, I love doing it because Jesus is better. See, I think we have to show people that God's word is is just so powerful and so good for our soul, and we're not just kind of uh, reading it and saying, ugh, I get so bored of it, but we're saying, this, this is my food. This is my spiritual bread. This is what is feeding me. This is what's changing me. And we, we convey that. That's an encouragement. And the thing about that is you, you can't fake it. It has to be real. You know, you can't fake it. You know, faking it, uh, basically it's, you're taking apples and you're, you're stapling it to the tree rather than allowing that, that apple to grow organically out of being connected to the tree. And we have to be in communion with Christ and we have to experience that Jesus is better ourselves. And that's what I think verse 14 points to when it says this. We have come to share in Christ. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And by the way, that word share can be translated another a number of ways and it can mean we, we participate in Christ or in other words, we, we commune with Christ. And if we're communing with Christ, then hopefully we are enjoying Him, hopefully we are seeing His beauty and out of that, as we live in community, as we live life together, as we speak the truth to one another in love, we can speak out of a place of conviction that God Friends, Jesus is better. You know, I've heard coaches say that uh, they remember their losses more than their victories. I've heard players say that too. So, more than winning a Super Bowl, a football player might say, "You know, I remember that time that I lost the Super Bowl even more." And when they say that, you know, I can kind of relate to that sometimes because I guess as a pastor. You know, what I think about a lot is uh, the people who fell away uh, from the church or the people who uh, maybe aren't doing so well now or uh, people, you know, the ones uh, who, who are struggling with faith and maybe not going to church anymore. I think about those people more than I think about all the people that God changed and transformed uh, with the gospel. And that might just be my personality, uh, but I do get sad and I do get heartbroken when I, I think about certain people and sometimes as I think about them I wonder if you know I should have done something different Uh, most of the time uh, I think about my past and I go you know I was probably too silent and the reason why I was probably too silent was because I wanted to avoid an uncomfortable conversation Uh, maybe you can relate to how I feel Uh, but here's, here's what I'm convicted of today let's not avoid accountability for the sake of avoiding uncomfortable conversation, because there is too much at stake, right? Let's not wait until we need accountability uh, to seek it, because by that point, it's probably too late. Let's not fail to make, take an opportunity, every opportunity to encourage one another with the gospel. There's just way too much at stake. Let's not keep our sin and if we're struggling with sin secretly by ourselves, let's not keep it in the dark simply because we want to avoid that feeling of shame. There is just too much at stake, friends. And as a community, let's show one another, let's exhort one another, let's encourage one another the fact that Jesus is better. Better than all of those things he is our treasure he is our reward he is our security he is our righteousness he is our identity he is our achievement he is our everything and we we are a small community and i don't look at that as a bad thing accountability uh we sh- we should be able to do it here uh we we see who's not here every sunday uh we we most likely know what's people are going through in life. We have an opportunity here, maybe once in a lifetime. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds? But we can create a community where we actually have accountability, and through that accountability, we actually experience real growth, life-changing growth, gospel growth. Let's pray together.